So take your Bible and find Matthew chapter 25, if you would, beginning in verse 14. Matthew 25, verse 14. When the series entitled Jesus Parables, Wisdom for Life, we're looking at just a few of Jesus' parables that instruct us in wise and Christ-like living. Now, twice in this series, we've said that context is king in biblical interpretation. So this parable is in the middle of what's called the Olivet Discourse that starts in Matthew 24 and finishes at the end of Matthew 25. The theme of those two chapters is, Jesus is coming, be ready. It will be a day of rejoicing, it will also be a day of reckoning. This parable is the second of three in chapter 25, and all three have common traits. For example, they tell us about divisions. The first parable is about ten virgins preparing for a wedding feast. Five were ready, five were not. In this parable, two served the Lord with what the Lord provided, one did not. The third parable is the parable of the sheep and the goats. The sheep obeyed God during their lifetime, the goats did not. Divisions. But we not only see divisions, we see destinations. Five virgins were ready for the marriage supper. The five who were not ready, the Lord said to them, I do not know you. In this parable, those who served Jesus entered into the joy of the master. The one who did not, he was cast into outer darkness where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the sheep and the goats, the sheep go into eternal life and the goats go into everlasting punishment. So we have divisions and we have destinations. Let's go over definitions. Look at verse 14. It is the kingdom of heaven. The man is Jesus. The slaves are us. But what is a talent? Now, a talent is not something that you're good at. In Jesus' day, a talent was a coin. Five talents were about 20 years of wages for a laborer. It's estimated to be, be between a half million and a million dollars in today's money. Very valuable. A talent represents anything God has given us. J.C. Ryle said it's our money, but it's also our gifting and our influence, our knowledge, health, and strength, time, reason, and intellect, memory, relationships, ingenuity, any skill, aptitude, asset, or ability, or resource God has given you is a biblical talent. So we have divisions and destinations and definitions. Let's add one more thing, a date. Now, I'm not going to tell you when Jesus is, returned, is going to return. That, that should be a great sigh of relief and hallelujah and amen. If someone says, well, I think we've got an idea when Jesus is going to return, make sure you have shoes on your feet and then run. This is Tuesday of Passion Week. That's the date. Jesus will be crucified on Friday, but he's going to die. He's going to rise again on Sunday, ascend to heaven, and he's coming back soon. Everyone has hope because of that. The Bible tells Christians to watch for Jesus' return. Now, how do you watch for his return? Well, you don't do it with binoculars. One of the ways you watch for his return is by using what he has given you to faithfully serve him until he comes or until he calls you home. Notice it's a simple assignment. It's simply serve Jesus with whatever he's given you. Use whatever you have and leverage it for the kingdom. And there's no competition. You're not superior to anyone, and you're not inferior. 
We all have different skill sets. We all have different assets. Just leverage them for the kingdom. But as you use them, I want you to know up front, number one, that service costs. Service costs. It costs time. Now, we often say, you know, I'm, I'm too busy to do this. Life has a lot of responsibilities. But if you're too busy to serve Jesus, something needs to go. I've got 40 acres to mow, and it takes a lot of time. Pay someone to mow or sell some acreage. God does not give us assets that will keep us so busy that we don't have the time or energy to serve him. Jesus encountered people who said they were too busy. In Luke chapter 9, a man said, I'll follow you, but first let me go bury my father. Now that's a reasonable request. But Jesus said, allow the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God everywhere. Another one said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. That's a reasonable request. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. If you think you'll serve Jesus when you get this particular thing done, when your education is complete, when the kids are older, when they get through high school or college, when you put this problem behind you, when you have that thing in order, when you finally get to retire, friend, you'll never serve. And this passage is clear. Jesus doesn't accept excuses. Now, he's not a taskmaster. I'm going to try and set this balance throughout this passage. He is not a taskmaster. He understands our circumstances. But the Bible says he created you in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, while some say I'm too busy, others will say, well, that's not my area of gifting. And there are times that makes sense, but sometimes you do what you do because it needs to be done. In the book of Nehemiah, the walls of Jerusalem needed to be rebuilt. Do you know who did the work? I noticed this a couple weeks ago in my quiet time. Chapter 3 there says the people who did the work were priests, goldsmiths, perfumers, and merchants. Not a wall builder in the bunch. The need was there, and they did the work. So some say I'm too busy. Others say that's not my gifting. Others, and let's just be honest here, you would think, you know, I'm not going to serve because that work doesn't interest me. There are ministries I want this church to engage in, but we don't do it or we won't do it. You know, it's just not my thing. Pretend you're a basketball player. And you thrive in a run-and-gun offense. You can fly down the court with ease. You can look off defenders. You can pass it or just tomahawk dunk it. I'm not talking about you. <laughs> no, I'm joking with someone in here who likes basketball. Come on, you all, lighten up. <laughs> can anybody hear Tomahawk dunk a basketball? That's who I was talking about. <laughs> So pretend you're good at that, but your teammates can't run and gun. But they do play well in a half-court offense. To help the team, you humble yourself and adjust to the half-court offense. I'll give you a hockey analogy, and I'm a good one. I'm a hockey fan. Don't run for the exits. I'm not, I'm not a reprobate. But Years ago, the Detroit Red Wings had a player named Steve Iserman. For seven years, he was unstoppable at scoring, and for seven years, Detroit did not win. 
His coach asked him to back check more, pass more, and be more defensive oriented. But that would cause his scoring totals to go down, and scoring was his natural talent. And how's he going to maximize his earning potential if he doesn't score as much? He did what his coach asked. His scoring dropped off by over a third, and Detroit won two championships in a row. Now, some service definitely requires a level of competence. You wouldn't put me on a building committee. I can't hammer a nail on a board straight. To be on a stewardship team, you need to know how to promulgate large budgets and how to handle money. But Robert said this. Robert and Susan kind of preached half this sermon this morning. Those are administrative ways of serving in a church. But there are a million and one ways to multiply what God has given you if you're willing to humble yourself and be willing to serve. Now, sometimes people say, well, I can't serve because I don't know enough. But 1 Corinthians 8, 1 says, knowledge makes one arrogant. Knowledge is only good if it leads you to serve. Knowledge benefits you when it comes out of you in service. And I've said this before, you learn really good theology when you put in sweat equity and get your hands dirty. And this church is good at that. Community carnival, donut distribution, things on Wednesday night, Mexico, volunteering at Insight, teaching, cleaning team. We could go on and on. But if you want to sit on the sidelines and just store up knowledge, it's a Petri dish for pride. It can be scary if you feel like you don't know enough. Maybe you do need to learn more, but service always costs. Now, again, I want to try to strike the right balance. We know there are certain stretches of life where all your waking hours has to be devoted to a certain task. Sometimes those things can last years. But we also have to realize there's never going to be a day when we say everything is now right. It's like that old James Brown song, I feel good. <laughs> Today I can serve. Da -na 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 -na. I feel good. And I'm trying to serve by singing and you're laughing at me. <laughs> Where's he at? Oh, he's in the nursery. He had to go to the nursery, so he can't. So you got me, buddy. <laughs> we also have to realize that day there's never, you're never going to say everything is now right. If you won't serve now, you won't serve later. In fact, if you won't serve now, what is it about today that would lead you to believe you will serve tomorrow? And if you won't serve at all, this parable says bad news is ahead. Now, right now, many of you have a broken heart, or you carry a heavy burden. I hear many stories today of problems with kids from little ones all the way through adults, and that's painful. And this time of the year can magnify grief in people. And on top of that, some of you would just say, you know what, I'm just tired. And because of that, you think you can't serve. We tend to think that we have to be up to serve God effectively, but when we're down, when we're suffering, we can't do a thing. But your greatest service will often happen during your most difficult times of life. The greatest service you can render sometimes happens during the most difficult time of life. In John 12, 27, Jesus, Jesus said, Now my soul has become troubled. 
What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. At Christmas time, he came in human flesh as the babe of Bethlehem, but he came in human flesh to die in human flesh. And when it came time to die, Jesus Christ our Lord says, my soul is troubled. His greatest service did not occur during his up time. His greatest service was not healing the sick and raising the dead and drawing huge crowds and being popular. His greatest service came during his death. Now you might say, you know, I feel weak. I feel unworthy. How can you say that God would use me? There's a verse that's often misused, but this is where it should be used. Paul said, I will boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ may dwell in me, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And that has real-life implications. Ron Dunn used to tell the story of meeting a pastor in Romania during the dictatorship of Nicolae Ceausescu. He'd been arrested for preaching, and the police tried to intimidate him. They said, don't you know we can kill you? He said, your greatest weapon is killing, my greatest weapon is dying. You kill me and my message will be multiplied many times over. Now the truth is, when you serve, you oftentimes will receive more pain than profit. You can make spiritual, personal, emotional, even material investments in the life of a person. And sometimes, it's like the old saying. It says, the good that you do doesn't do you much good. You coach and counsel someone in need, and soon uh, what you said is considered to be judgmental. You have someone's back today, they stab your back tomorrow. You build a person up, later on, they tear you down. You give your best to a church, and foolish or dishonest leaders come along and ruin the church. So why serve? We can be so cynical about this. Why serve? Jesus is our pattern. He went to his own, and his own received him not. He went through Judea, Galilee, and Samaria and blessed everyone he came in contact with. And the result? A plot formed to kill him. One of his closest friends betrayed him. The others abandoned him. The Romans and Jews conspired against him. They put him on a cross. They murdered him, and then they walked away as if they did nothing wrong. Yet he willingly entered that pain to serve God and us. And Galatians 1.4 says, He gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father. Sometimes it's, this, it's as if Satan walks up to us, dressed up in some kind of adversity, and says, let's make a deal. You stop and I'll stop. You see all that service and devotion and praying? What has it gotten you? The antidote to that poison is in verse 19. It says, now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The long time is the end of the age. The master is our Lord. He doesn't settle his accounts until it's all over, but he settles his accounts. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Just know that service costs. But not only does service cost, service also counts. The five talent and two talent believers stewarded what God provided, and that's what God requires, good stewardship. And good stewardship is taking your abilities and assets and leveraging them to grow the kingdom. 
we tend to think that something has to be a success in order to be commendable. If I'm a good steward, I'll be successful. The problem is we don't know how to measure success. We use the yardsticks of our culture when God wants faithfulness. Folks, listen to me. It doesn't matter if your life is obscure. God sees your heart. He sees what is done in secret, and he rewards faithfulness. And you say, but there has to be some visible success. Moses was tasked with taking Israel to the promised land. Right away, he lacked the faith to do what God clearly told him to do. Another time, he lost his temper and smashed the Ten Commandments God himself wrote in stone. I mean, I think I would have bubble-wrapped that thing. Another time, he said to God, if you're going to deal thus with me, then please kill me at once. He lost his temper another time and struck a right rock twice against God's will, and therefore he never took Israel to the promised land. The very calling of his life, was Moses a failure? No. Joshua was tasked with picking up that ball, taking the Israelites into Canaan and conquering Canaan. He had victories, he had defeats, but he never got that done. Was he a failure? Jesus will judge your service based on how you leveraged for the kingdom everything God gave you and how you served based on the circumstances surrounding you. Now, when it comes to serving him, sure, you serve him in and through the church, but the Bible says whatever you do, do your work heartily. What kind of work? Whatever you do. Caring for elderly parents, working in your vocation, wiping snotty noses, Paul said, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than men. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Stay faithful, folks. It's through faithful people that churches stay alive and thrive. And you need to know that your faithfulness is making a difference for the kingdom. And it's giving people hope. Maybe your morale is down this morning. You say, I don't see that I'm making a difference. Play the long game regarding service. Stretch out your time horizon. It could be that a lost person will come to Jesus by the recollection of a sentence spoken by a faithful believer who now lies in the grave while dead he still speaketh. It could be that a mighty man of God may be raised up for a new generation by what he learns as a kid in this church. Generations can be changed by a conversation with a student unborn generations will reap the harvest of what this church does today one of the laws of the harvest is that others reap what you sow you reap what you sow you reap later than you sow you reap more than you sow and others reap what you sow sow seed in the spring and the harvest will come at the right time so the bible says let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That's hope. Psalm 126, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. You reap what you sow. You reap later than you sow. You reap more than you sow, and others reap what you sow. Service counts. So their service is caution. We can make the mistake of comparing our service to others, and the deadly poison of jealousy rises up in our heart. I was an associate pastor at a church when we were looking for a worship pastor. Now, I wasn't involved in the search, but they decided to form a small team from the choir. That church had a choir. 
They formed a small team from that choir to help vet the candidates. A woman and her husband made an appointment to see me. It was unforgettable. She was mad. She was livid. She was in tears, pounding on my desk. She demanded to know why she wasn't on that team. And I said, I don't know. I wasn't involved in it. She said to me, I am the most musically qualified person in that choir, and I am the most spiritual person in that choir. <laughs> and I didn't say it, but I thought, I think I know why they didn't ask you. <laughs> but folks, if that shoe fits, can I ask you a question? Is that really the way you want to step out into glory? with complaining and criticism and cynicism on your lips and in your heart? Legend says that before Solomon's temple was built, every stone and timber was marked. That way the architects would know where every piece would fit. You fit in the kingdom, but never think I'd be the best foundation stone or they should have asked me to be the capstone. Be satisfied with what the Lord has given you to do and do it with all your heart. And that will lead to service's commendation. Verse 21, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. I would guesstimate that about 50 people have said to me in 27 years of ministry, I hope Jesus will say that to me. No greater commendation could be expressed. But friends, if you faithfully serve him with who you are and what you have, that's what you'll hear. No one should ever tremble and say, I won't hear that because what I have to offer is so little. The trembling should come from those who have much but do little. To whom much is given, much is required. Be faithful in the small things. Be faithful in the sacred things. Be faithful in the secret things. You'll be commended. This is, it's a simple assignment, and it's followed by a final assessment. Every person will give an account before God. So the first two servants came to that day, and verses 20 and 22, the servants doubled the master's investment and were told, enter into your master's joy. But in verse 24, the one-talent man buried it. He didn't do a thing. And look again in verse 24. He accused the master of being hard and taking from others. And verse 25 is the tell. It says, he was afraid of him and went away. Those are echoes of Adam hiding in the garden when he sinned. He said to God, I was afraid, so I hid myself. This points to a person who has no real faith in Jesus. We might even call him a cultural Christian. He wasted what God gave him. He didn't really have much respect for God, any kind of fear of God, and he even verbalized his disrespect toward him. So look at verse 30. Jesus said, throw that worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Craig Keener has a Ph.D. from Duke Divinity School. He would see Scripture through a different lens than we would, but here's what he wrote about verse 30. Professed disciples who insult Christ's grace by neglecting his commission in this world are damned. Three slaves entrusted by the master with his possessions. Two were faithful, one was not. This man's unfaithfulness demonstrated his spiritual condition. It was unmistakable. And verse 30 says his destination was hell. To quote Keener again, he said, This is what will happen to those who claim to be his followers but do not invest their lives in the work of the kingdom. 
It's believed by many today that God's judgment is the most irrational and least likely thing that could happen, that death is simply a pathway to a better place. There's no such thing as the judgment of God. I've heard it called the doctrine of justification by death, that the sole prerequisite to eternal life is dying. Jesus is coming, and there's a day of accountability. And it'll either be a day of great joy or a day of great misery. So the message of this parable is take all that you have, leverage it to serve him. It demonstrates that you have saving faith and you will enter into the joy of your master. There's great hope here. I'm going to do something different today. Let's see if I can keep from breaking my neck here. That made you nervous. (laughs) I, I read a lot. Honestly, don't know what I'm getting ready to say. I read a lot and I see so much negativity everywhere. So much cynicism. Everything is bad. The government's bad. The country's bad. The people are bad. Everybody's on the take. The church is bad. It can just drive you crazy. We talked here Wednesday night in Bible study about the problem of phones. And I, 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 I confessed, I said, I put my phone in the next room when I try to, have, try to have a quiet time, but I've learned that my phone has fragmented my attention. I can't keep my attention going. And I'm, just, I'm not trying to bust you. I look out and I see people looking at their phone through half the service, and you're not. This is not looking at the text. But I'm pointing a finger back at me. So Wednesday night, I said, I'm trying my very best to stay away from that phone. All this cynicism corrodes our soul. You've got to stay away from it. You've got to stay away from it. And what I want to say to you, I guess, is this. Shut out all this cynicism and recognize that this book is either all or nothing. You know, when I came to Christ, I I, I came, I I know you, you live by faith, but when I came to Christ, I came logically. And the conclusion I reached, it was around the resurrection of Jesus. I said, this is either true. If the resurrection of Jesus is true, if Jesus of Nazareth walked the face of this earth, or, excuse me, the face of this earth, and said he would die and rise again in three days, if he did that, then that's the greatest miracle in human history. That makes everything else in this book a layup. A talking donkey, nothing compared to being raised from the dead. But if it's not true, then this is the biggest hoax ever perpetrated in the history of humanity. So what you and I have to decide is, is this true? Now, there's everything out there today tells you this is not true. There's all sorts of problems, and it. it's been preached wrong over the years. The church is terrible. Everything's on the... I had a man say to me one time, and this was several years ago, I love your church, I think it's great, but I'm not going to join your church or any church. And I said, why? He said, I know you're a, a dishonest person. How do you know I'm a dishonest person? Because you're a pastor. That's the logic that's out there. Don't go there, folks. Jesus is not a taskmaster. He's given us life. He's given us eternal life. He's called you to himself. There's nothing better that you could do with your life than invest it in serving Jesus. I am so thankful for your faithfulness, and I'm praying that all this cynicism and all this negativity, that you'd be protected from it in the days to come. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for our time together. I pray that you would have your way with each one of us. Thank you for your word that is so true. Thank you for Jesus who sits on the throne and we know that someday he's going to return. And what a day of rejoicing that will be. For anyone here who's never been saved, I pray you would help them to recognize that there is hope. There is great hope that you would call them to yourself, that they would turn away from their sins, they would trust in you as their Lord and Savior, and that they would reach out to myself or Nathan or Kirk, fill out that card. Lord, would you lead them to do something so we can help them take the next steps in the Christian life? Thank you for your death, your burial, and your resurrection, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, would you stand with me?